Studios. This, this is After Nine with Scott and Kat. And a hey now. And a hello. <laughs> How are you? Just you. I'm good. We uh, are here, ready to go with After Nine. And first and foremost, before we talk about the Junos and mm. the controversy in the skies and the couple of new polls that came out, I want to just mention this quickly. Last night, for whatever reason, it only lasted like half an hour, but I felt sick. And it just went away. And I mentioned that to a few different people today who have all said, oh, you're lucky it's not COVID. Everybody's got COVID again. And it reminded me that it wasn't that long ago that if you had COVID, you had like a big hex over you. You were like, oh my God, stay away. And they've got COVID. They've Have got, you heard? Did you hear such and such tested positive? For COVID. What a difference I- <laughs> a year makes, Kat. What a difference. Yeah, I know some people don't even test anymore. Like they're like, yeah, I got a cold or something. It's probably COVID. I don't know. I'm not even testing. Not that I'm saying that that's okay. And listen, any any opinion we have on this, we're not recommending anything to you. We're not not recommending stuff. We're just a couple of people talking about it. Because I know there's people who are like, you absolutely should test if you feel like you got that cold coming on. And that's why, by the way, it's provided to you, those tests. And that's And, and that's great. And I'll also say, whether it's COVID or not, if you're sick, you should stay home. Thank you for that. Yes. You should always stay home if you're sick. Even if you've just got those symptoms and you aren't sure, err on the side of caution and don't get everybody else sick. But there's a lot of sick people right now. And and it's crazy to me because it was about this time last year mm-hmm. that we were still coming off of restrictions and closures and borderline lockdowns. And now as I look at it, all these people that are sick, many of them probably have COVID. According to the wastewater data, there's a lot of COVID out there still. Okay, yep, yep. I, uh, what a difference in how we treat this now. It's hard to believe that we shut the world down over this. It's hard to believe that that now it's just such a calm, casual thing. Oh, you got COVID? Oh, that sucks. Make sure you stay home. Mm-hmm. Before it was a death sentence. Oh, my God, you've got COVID. Get your affairs in order. What a difference a year makes. And all we had to do was say, we're going to learn to live with it. And as soon as we said, we're going to learn to live with it, we're living with it just fine. Like the hospitals aren't overrun. Nobody's panicking. Uh, For the most part, all the anger about restrictions and lockdowns seems to have died down. And it's only been a year. I'm amazed at the turnaround that has happened since. And and again, I'm, I'm still shocked as we look at it with hindsight. A lot of people lost their jobs and all sorts of shit over this. And and it's kind of crazy to me now that we're just at a, well, probably got COVID. I should stay home. Might test, might not. Don't care. Uh, there's no data here or anything, and I'm just spitballing some shit here. But I do find it really interesting that I've also heard that, by the way. I do know people who have COVID or have had COVID in the last couple of weeks. Some of it's travel related, I suppose. Um, others just have it. And I know it's going through some childcare centers and goodness knows when kids go back to school after March break, there's probably going to be a tiny spit of surge they're going to feel in some of the schools. Absolutely. But it is always, why is it this time of year? This is when, by the way, three years ago, Facebook memories reminded me of this because you had reposted something. And so I shared it and it was that warning. Canadians, if you're out of the country, get your ass back home. Yeah. That was today, three years ago, for those who wonder, who were curious so three years ago, I mean, obviously, it was, it was so much different than even a year ago. But I'm wondering if there's something to that, though, because this time of year, for some reason, I know that the most people I know with COVID, it happens this time of year. It happened last year. My whole family had COVID beginning of April last year. I know a bunch of people with it now. God, please not. I got a knock on something, so I don't get it. But 
I know, but who cares? Like, I mean, we again, I, I'm under the umbrella of it's it's a cold. I'll stay away from people. I will test, absolutely. If I feel like I might have a cold, I'm going to test for sure. But I, I, you're right. Like, the way that we see it is so much different. Now you could tell me, like, oh, blah, blah, had COVID, and they were in this room with us, like, the other day, and I'd be like, oh, that's too bad. My first thought wouldn't be what it would be, even a year, maybe two years ago, especially. <gasps> Holy fuck, I was the same room as them. How dare they? Now, am I sick? Am I sick? Lock me it, in the basement uh, right? and keep me away from my family. Exactly. And now it's more like, oh, shit, that sucks. Yeah, yeah. I hope you get better. But, you know, it's not just how we treat the actual virus itself. It's how we treat some of the other things around it. Uh, just the other day, I saw a news story, and it was on CNN. CNN was one of the major cheerleaders of really hyping up COVID. And, and they were talking about how there's more and more intelligence to indicate that, yeah, the original theory way back when, three years ago, was probably right. It probably originated in a lab in China, not a wet market in Wuhan from somebody eating a bat or something stupid like that. And a year ago, you would have been canceled for saying that. You would have been shamed off of social media and an outcast and canceled for mentioning that theory. And it's not just that one. There was all kinds of questions about whether or not you have any natural immunity. And that was a thing that was shouted down from the start. Oh, no. Stop this lie about natural immunity. Now we know that we get a lot of natural immunity from having been exposed. And we knew it before COVID. For whatever reason, we were told to forget everything that we knew about viruses. Yeah. And now we're back to, oh, yeah, you do actually get a lot of natural immunity from an infection. In, <laughs> infection. It's bizarre to me. What a 180 we did, and then what a 180 back we did as quickly as we did it. But yeah, you're right. Three years ago today, foreign affairs. If you're abroad, get home quickly and lock yourself at home and don't talk to anybody and wash your mail. And, and I mean, it was scary, <laughs> but it was at the time. It was unknown. So that I understand. It's not like I, I dismiss that that should have been the, hand, the handle the way it was. I, we didn't know. They didn't know. They're it was a learning curve for a lot of people a few years ago, so I don't even hate on that. But I do know that there's such a big difference even from year to, oh, year over year compared to last year. The only part I question there is how much we did or didn't know back then. Because if it did actually get grown in a lab and it was intentionally or accidentally released, this is something that was man-made or created by humans. And... If that was the case, we knew everything there was to know about it back then. We knew that human-to-human -human transmission was possible, even though initially we said, oh, we don't know how it's being spread. Stupid shit like that that we probably knew all along, but no one would admit it. And mm -hmm. it's very, very frustrating to me, but uh, I think we're in a better place now. I think we have done exactly what we were told to do, learn to live with it, and everything seems to be going just fine now. I'm sure that there's still people who are in a real dire strait that are not dealing with it well and their immune system can't fight it off or, I don't know, maybe they didn't get enough shots or whatever. And I'm thinking about them for sure. But for the vast majority, life has gone on and it's been just fine. So I'm glad that we've turned this corner. Kat, we have uh, the Juno Awards to mm -hmm. talk about here. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out why that streaker did what they did last night, jumping up on stage nude when Avril Lavigne was out there to protest the green belt in Ontario during an award show in Alberta. Yeah, I think, it, I guess they, they were going toward, gearing toward the Canadian audience as a whole, maybe specifically Ontario, but the, definitely the televised audience, like without a doubt. Um, 
I, I, uh, it's really irritating that, first of all, where's the security at too? Like the way that the Juno's uh, stage was set, and I think it's great though, is that the fans are right there. And it was kind of like uh, all around Avril Lavigne. That's who was on stage at the time. All around Avril Lavigne, there's people on the ground, like uh, floor seats, essentially, like stand, standing room floor seat kind of thing. So somebody, whoever was there, took their top off and underneath was written all these things about the green belt and blah, blah, and then ran the stage. But where was the security to stop that person from running the stage? Because this could have been so much worse. And I don't mean to be that person. Like, it was fine. Everything, everyone's okay. Obviously, this person's arrested and stuff. But was there really a lack of security if they just allowed this to happen? Well, where was the security and why did CBC televise it? If you're watching a, a soccer well, game and somebody runs on the field, they pan the camera away. At baseball, it happens regularly, and they pan the camera away most of the time because you don't want to glorify it or tell people, hey, if you want a national audience, here's how you get it. You just got a streak, and all you'll catch is a little mischief charge. You'll probably get off with a, a peace bond, and you're on your way. No big deal. I thought that we were trying to avoid getting these people attention, but I did like the way Avril handled it. I know not everybody does. There's some people criticizing her for not acknowledging this noble oh environmental uh, cause. Can I just say something on that? Stop. Like, are you serious? She's in the middle of like uh, introducing an act. So that's what she was doing at the time. And someone comes up behind her topless. I don't give a shit what's written on it. It could be puppies are great. I don't give a fuck. Get away from me. I'm trying to do my job. Get off the stage. You're obviously trying to get attention on something that may be important to you and maybe it is actually an important issue, but I don't give a shit what's written on you. Do it appropriately at the right time. Now's not the time nor the place. Get off the fucking stage. And that's basically what Avril did say. Do we have what Avril did? Yep, right Great. here. The sold out shows in Canada, the US. Get the fuck off. <laughs> get the fuck off. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, some people criticizing her also for using F-bombs on live television. Yeah, I, I don't blame her for that. Like you said, she was at work. Nobody should have to be accosted by a half-naked woman who's just trying to prove a point and steal Avril's spotlight there. I wouldn't want to have to deal with that, and Avril Levine shouldn't have to either. I'm glad she told her off, and no, that wasn't appropriate to, to get your point across. <laughs> Although it does remind me, not that long ago, like a week ago, CSIS put out a warning that we should expect environmental extremists to start getting far more extreme in their actions. Turns out they were right. Now we got streakers at the fucking Juno Awards. So there's that. Uh, let's play a little bit of this. I know you're a huge Nickelback fan. You must have been pumped. <laughs> not only, hang on, not only am I a Nickelback fan. I'm a fan of Ryan Reynolds. So not in the house, but on the big screen in the house, Ryan Reynolds helped to deliver Nickelback into there the Canadian music There are millions of reasons to be a proud Canadian. And tonight, the Junos in Canada are coming together to celebrate one of them. Homegrown talent from right here in Alberta, Joni Mitchell. Nickelback. Love Nickelback. Wasn't Joni Mitchell in Nickelback? Nickelback. Amazing. They're from Alberta too, right? That's a very talented province. He went in to do uh, an entire biography, which we will save you from. You don't need to listen to the entire Nickelback biography. But if you are a fan of Nickelback, uh, go back and watch it. They did re uh, CBC did repost it from last night, and it was really well done. Um, and, and by the way, obviously well-deserved Nickelback in the Canadian Music Hall of Fame. It's about damn time. You know, with all the records they've broken and albums that they've sold, they really are iconic. And I know some people love to shit on Nickelback for some reason. But either way, it's kind of amazing they weren't already 
in the Hall of Fame. I mean, they've had a long career. They've toured the world. They've made Canada famous back when they were really famous. It's uh, it was kind of surprising that they weren't already in, but hey, they're in now. That's good. Uh, do you want to hear any performances or no? Uh, no, that's okay. Yeah, we're fine. Uh, they were good, by the way. Like, not that they weren't good. I actually thought that last night's Junos were really well done. I thought Simu Liu did a great job as host. Um, it was fun. He sang, too, which is cool. Uh, the performances were good. It was nice to have a little bit of star power in there with Avril and Nickelback and Jesse Reyes as well, who's pretty hot right now. So, And then Tate McRae did a great job. Rev as well. Go ahead and watch all of the highlights you want. Our ET Canada has them, or you can go to the CBC Twitter, whatever. Ontario libraries are calling on the provincial government to establish a digital public library for Ontario to ensure all residents have the same access to materials. This isn't even the first time they've called for this, by the way. The executive director says libraries are mostly funded by municipalities, so each library system has to purchase its own material. Hmm. And they say ebooks cost three times as much as print books, and they can be especially expensive for libraries when they're being purchased on a library-by-library basis. Okay, Kat, we've all seen our taxes go through the roof recently. Municipally, and actually the province has not raised taxes, as nearest I can tell, but the, the municipalities have all raised our property taxes. They do the bulk of the funding for the libraries. I'm going to go a step further and say, not only are the librarians right here, yes, there should be a, a province-wide Ontario digital library. I'm going to say that's all we need. Do we still need these brick-and-mortar libraries? Yes, we absolutely do. With all these books yes. and and every municipality has at least two or three different libraries that all had to buy a copy of that book. Maybe somebody returns it. Maybe they don't. There's not really a fine if they don't. You can just basically steal it. And, and I'm wondering, why are we still funding these big, huge buildings when we've got a building crisis in this province where we need space for people? Oh, boy. So first and foremost, libraries are no longer libraries anymore. A lot of uh, funding has gone into them. In fact, in some areas, they don't even call them libraries anymore. And I'll give you a great example because I think they do a fantastic job. And that's the city of Cambridge. They stopped calling it a library many years ago, actually, when they decided to bring in new technology and other things um, to kind of advance the place inside the what was once known as the library it's the idea exchange and let me tell you Scott having young kids and being able to go there and it's all uh, funded by the city and there's kids programs to take part in and activities right now they're running great March break camps through a lot of libraries out there they're not just about books and taking books out it's so much more than that it's uh, resources in every single way that you can imagine it's not your old school old-fashioned library when was the last time you were in a library I'd like to ask you a long time see it's been uh, trust me it's different now I say absolutely the brick and mortar is so important especially for families who don't have a lot not every family can afford iPads for their kids or be, even be able to surf the internet. Most can now, most do, but there are still people who have to go without. And for those people to be able to have those resources in place is, I, I would argue, one of the most important things in a, in a city is the library. So I completely disagree with you on that. Oh, I think we shut them down hard. I, uh, I'm all for having access to technology. I was under the impression that that's what the schools were supposed to do. Uh, as far as having activities mm -hmm. and places for people to go, again, all for it. But we as a society don't need to pay for it. If you would like to go to it, you should be able to pay a small fee and take part in those activities well, to at least subsidize it. Yeah, they do have they do have fees involved in some things. But what I will argue with you, with you on when it comes to school is schools are done at 3, 3.30, whatever time that is. 
there's nothing to do after school when you want those resources. And on weekends, when you crave those resources, whether you're a student, whether you are a family of kids, or whether you're just someone who wants to find uh, a way to find these resources, it's so much more than just books and taking books out. And again, with the affordability issue that we have, especially right now, particularly in this province, that is such an important place for people to go to. It really is. Do we need to keep buying actual paper books then for every one of those libraries plus every one of the schools that has their own internal library? There's got to be dozens upon dozens of them in every medium-sized city and and even more in the large cities. I'm wondering, since everybody reads digitally anyway and everybody apparently needs to have a device, why are we still funding these the book purchase for every single yeah. one of these buildings and sometimes multiple copies? Again, I implore you, anyone listening who has the similar opinion to Scott, to step inside a library. There's, again, so much more. They budget for each and every category. There are libraries who are not called libraries. Maybe they're called something else, depending on where you live, that have so important, ready for it? Coding classes. Kids can start young and take coding classes. Um, There's also art. There's 3D printers, so kids can get started there. It is so important. It's not just the books. In fact, the budgeting for the books, Scott, is probably lowest. I would probably take a look at the budgeting for these libraries before you say that, because I, you're not wrong. You're not right at all. I would like to know then how much we're spending on books. Yeah, because if it's anything, that's too much. The technology is way more. The technology that's inside is, which is important, and I think it is, uh, it should be at the highest. Is the technology? I could have the CEO of a library on with us anytime you want to to ask her questions. I'd love to. It's and my sister-in-law. Love, okay. she'll come on the show anytime and tell you. It's so I I am so gung ho about how important libraries are. They're not libraries anymore. And if you have an opinion or you want to form one, step inside one first before you give an opinion. Hold on a second here. That's not fair. I am a tax-paying citizen that apparently yeah. has access to this that I have absolutely no use for. And and once I'm inside, if there's any amount of money being spent on books, when we have the opportunity to centralize it and make those books available to every single person via digital form, why on earth would we continue to buy multiple copies of paperback or hardcover books for every single one yeah. of these facilities, plus every single one of them in the schools as well? Yeah. If you're saying the buildings are important, Fine, keep the buildings. But let's talk about the budget of those individuals and let's talk about how much we're spending on various things that arguably aren't even relevant in 2023 anymore. Yeah, and again, most of them have been revamped, so they are very relevant. And I do agree, though. Yeah, let's absolutely go digital. In fact, there are some books you can get digitally, but they want to make sure it's across the board Ontario. Yes, because if that saves us money, absolutely. Then let's do that and go a lot of digital. There's still a lot of room for physical books, um, especially for people who don't want it on a device or have a device to even put it on. So I don't think it should be that way across the board at all. But the discussion is worth having. And I'm sure they will fit it into the budget because it makes sense in 2023. And uh, some boards are way behind. Some library boards, fucking useless. So I do agree with you there. It depends on the city. Hopefully you live in a city if you are interested in the resource that has it. And of course, there's a shit ton that I pay taxes for I don't fucking use. We could have that argument all day long, but that's never going to change. So you might as well make sure that you make it work for the people who are using it. Like unemployment, for example. You know, like any other matter of helping someone, assisting government buildings, although they're not of use to you, they are of use to somebody else. So hopefully... Those areas, when we're talking libraries specifically, are taking a good hard look at what they're doing and how they can improve and make sure that you're up to speed in 2023. And again, I would give definite credit to like Idea Exchange. I know that there's a lot of great in the Toronto board too. Apparently, like those libraries are great too. Um, I was in when I was in 
uh, Calgary. I checked out their library. It's very similar. It's not really a library anymore. There's so much more to it. So again, I think that they're doing all a really good job, most of them, and hopefully they're catching up with the rest of them. Take away the books, and isn't it really just a community center? It is kind of a community. It is kind of a community center. Yes, yes, yes. Because and, and why don't we just combine them with the community centers? Yeah, that's not that's not even a terrible idea either. And that could be potentially money saving right there. Yes. Why wouldn't you just do that and I then agree. have resources inside a community center? I mean, I totally agree with you. All in one, right? And then there's a hall in the community center. You know, people rent out for showers and shit. Make it all <laughs> one spot. Like I agree with you completely, but I, I don't believe in starting to eliminate things just because people. People don't understand them. I, uh, okay. No, that's good. That's a good chat. New polling says Canadians want Ottawa to call an independent inquiry into allegations of foreign interference. 72%, 72% of those polled, I should have read this in advance, 72% of those polled said they would totally support the government launching an independent inquiry. One in five Canadians, one in five say they no longer trust the results of our elections. Liberal and NDP voters most likely to trust in the results, while more than a third of conservative voters, and not surprising, 84% of People's Party supporters say they do not. I don't know how people feel about this other than this poll, so I'm just going to put it out there. There's no reason to not have a public inquiry. We still haven't even appointed the rapporteur who's going to decide. <laughs> I forgot about the rapporteur. Remember that? Justin yeah. came out, it's been two weeks, and he <laughs> hasn't found an eminent Canadian that's willing to head up this project to decide if we need an inquiry. But if the public opinion matters at all, 72% say they support the idea. That's up about 15% in two weeks. Another new poll is out, this one also from Leger, that says Canadians are largely indifferent to King Charles. The web survey... <laughs> says many Canadians are greeting the ascension of Charles to the throne with a shrug. Only 12% of respondents say it's good news that Charles is now king. 14% say it's bad news that he's now king. Hmm. 67% don't give a shit. I love that. <laughs> I love that. There's some honesty there, right? I don't think most people on a day-to-day -day basis are affected by whether or not Charles III is king. They don't care. Now, whether or not we have the monarchy going forward, that can be a discussion. And a majority of respondents say it is the right time for Canada to reconsider its ties to the monarchy. So 56% say with Charles preparing to be crowned king, say we should talk about it. 44% say we're not discussing it. Case closed. We're a member of the mm. monarchy. I think that's close enough that it would be a valuable conversation to have. We don't need to make any decisions on it, but when's the last time we had a national conversation about something like that that's not over-the-top political or partisan? It's really just a matter of, do we want to continue having a king as our head of state in Canada? Yeah, I, I, love, the, I love those results. That's fantastic. But how would you... My question would be, let's say we lived in this world where the majority of people... Didn't really want it anymore. But we know that when that's the case, the monarchies probably still want it. It's not like they're saying, okay, we all quit. Let's just shut this down. We'll turn this into condos, this Buckingham Palace or something. How do we go, how do people, we, I don't even know what to say here, go about eliminating that? Uh, if we want it eliminated, like I'm not even sure how this works because there will be push, there would be pushback, right? There's going to be people who are very passionate about it. That's why I feel like it'll never happen. I feel like it will never happen within the existence of the world Unless, like, I don't know, unless things change drastically, 
And King Charles, like, tur- uh, turns out he's a terrible, I don't even want to say words that I want to say, but like, turns out something happened and the whole family's part of it and they have no choice but to shut it down because they're not going to give it to like Beatrice or some shit. So I don't get how we maneuver this if yeah. we even all hated it. You know what I mean? I actually had a really good discussion with someone in government about the monarchy and that person is a steadfast monarchist. They want us to remain a part of the monarchy. They say there's room to modernize our affiliation to the monarchy, but they absolutely want it to stay. Now, if we, as a nation, made the decision, and the only way we as a nation can make that decision is a referendum. A referendum. If we were to hold a referendum and and we set the stakes high, right now, 56% say it's worth having a conversation. Maybe we set the bar at 60%. If 60%, even within the margin of error and factoring in voter turnout in different regions in the country and so on and so forth, if 60% of the people in majority of the provinces, let's say that, Mm -hmm. if they all agreed that we should get rid of the monarchy, then that process would be very simple. The referendum would have to bind. Parliament would have to pass an act. It would be ratified by the Senate. I'm doing a civics lesson here, by That's the way. That's good. Yep, yep. I know. Notice. I like yeah, it. Yeah. We're keeping up. Then the governor general, who would then technically be unemployed because we don't need a governor general to represent the monarchy in Canada. <laughs> They'd be so gone. Th- their swan song, their final act would be to travel to London and formally notify the king that we no longer wish to be part of the monarchy. Now, whether or not he has to release us or he could not release us, I don't think that's... Uh, up for debate here. I, I think he basically has to let us go, and unless we decided to get all confrontational about it. Oh, a military coup. it's nah, weird. That would never happen. And if we said we want to go, they would just let us go. I think so, too. I think that that would, be, that would probably be the best way to go. You know, if we were going to get rid of the monarchy, it should have been when we repatriated the Constitution in the first place here to Canada. Mm-hmm. Now, that didn't happen then, and it's been, what, 40 years anyway? So now we can... We have to set up the next event. If we ever wanted to get rid of them, Governor General says, peace out, fuckers. And then they come back and then they're technically out of a job as well. And then the prime minister would be the head of state. I don't know if I like the idea. I kind of like having that extra layer there with the monarchy. I don't love Charles, to be honest with you. I'm actually kind of excited and optimistic for how things may or may not change when William and Kate are the king and queen. Because <laughs> William's boring, is that why? Well, it's not just that he's boring. He's it's boring. He's a little boring, but he has his fun moments, and <laughs> we've learned a lot from <laughs> Harry. Apparently, he's a fighter, so... <laughs> he does get feisty. You know? He, a little, mean, he's a little punchy sometimes, apparently. Maybe William's the fuck around and find out kind of guy. Yeah. So maybe we don't want to wake the bear. I think that when we get to that point, it'll be fine. I don't think Charles is going to be king for very long. He's pretty fucking old, let's be honest here. And and I doubt that he's got the same genetics that his mother had, who lived till almost 100. So yeah. I, I think that there's a lot of reason to be optimistic. I think this is the wrong time to have that conversation or... Maybe it's the right time to begin the conversation, but we're not going to action anything. We could be having the conversation anyway, though. It doesn't need to be on a national scale. Conversations like the one you and I are having could happen anywhere at any dinner table across the country. And we all have a stake in it because we're all Canadian. And just to go back to the poll, just to end off with where you started, that's kind of how I feel like my life is. If I do get bring up anything or anything's brought up at a dinner party, for example, about the monarchy yeah, Prince Harry and Meghan or whatever. People are either into the drama of the Harry and Meghan thing, but overall, when it comes to the actual monarchy, I would say at least 67% of people I know are like, who fucking cares? And they move on with their day. So yeah. I find that poll to be really accurate for me anyway, my perspective. 
Let's talk about men's penises for just a minute, if we oh, could. Oh, okay. Dicks. Here we go. I'd heard the term grower or shower before, but I was never really familiar with what it meant because I don't consider myself to be either one of them. But but if you don't know what it means, how do you know if you're one of them? Because I've never used the expression. Oh, okay. They say if you're not familiar with those terms, a shower is when your junk is fairly robust, no matter what <laughs> state of arousal you're at. <laughs> robust. A a grower is when there's not much to write home about until you're actually aroused and hard. So urologists over in Spain wanted to define each term in medical terms. Like if you had surgery on your junk, it's useful to know which one of those categories you'd fall into. So they did ultrasound scans on 225 men, and here's what they found. The average man's junk grows by 42%. 42%. Ooh. Almost half. Large. But you're not a grower unless your growth is 56% or more. So roughly doubling in length. If you're a shower, it only increases by 31% or less. So roughly a third. So by that standard, they say one in four men, growers. About the same amount, showers. fall into the gray zone in between the two. So technically that means they aren't either. Not particularly well endowed. They're not underdeveloped or whatever the term would be. They're just (laughs) right in the middle average, about half of guys. And I didn't know that it could be none of the above. I thought it was you were either one or the other. Well, what do I know? Funny, I just read that and I still don't know if I'm a grower (laughs) or a shower. You know what makes me laugh is you said like 200 men took part in this ultrasound thing. Yeah. What was that for this purpose? Yeah. Like, was there like an ad out there on like Craigslist? Like, hey, you want to show us your dick? Like, <laughs> you and your dick come for this you survey. You and your dick right here. We're going to wait till the ultrasounds are done for very important things in life, which they are. Let's wait till we finish up with her fucking knee and, and that baby over there. And you get in here and whip your dick out. Grab your dick and come on down. <laughs> We're doing a survey. We're doing a study here on the peckers. <laughs> you get a coupon. You get a coupon if you do it. Come on. Oh, a little off topic, but uh, the building that that our podcast studio is in shares a lobby with a colonoscopy clinic. Yeah. And it's kind of neat because I don't think I've ever walked by there and seen people really peppy, except for the staff. Everybody in there is like, ah, fuck, they're going to stick something in my ass. And they're going to have to sedate me. And, ah, <laughs> or they're it. the people waiting for the people getting shit stuck, stuck in their ass. Yeah. And yeah. Then they're just they're like, not ah, happy. Fuck, this is going to yeah. suck. Rah. They took the chairs out of the waiting room. Did they really? Yeah. Wait, inside the building or on the... No, inside the colonoscopy oh. clinic down the hall, they took all the chairs out of the waiting room. Because there's there's benches in the lobbies still, so what are they doing? I guess you don't need to sit if you're going for a colonoscopy. Oh. I don't know. Yeah, there's no more chairs Standing in the Standing room, room only, huh? Guess so. It's mm. probably better that way and more comfortable. I, I can't imagine why you'd want to sit before that anyway. Well, there's a lot of old people that do the colonoscopy, so I always worry about the old people, don't you? Yeah, they look shit scared. I feel bad for them. Everybody in there is like, Like, (laughs) getting old sucks. And people joke about it in like their 40s and stuff like that. But like getting old looks like it sucks too. One last thing. It was an interesting question that we had so much response to on our shows today. Mm -hmm. Would you be willing to work at a job that you love that pays poorly? Or would you rather work at a job you hate that pays enough money for you to live? Or maybe it's 
maybe you're making bank I working think it at has that to job be making that you bank, hate. Right? In, it, for this example, it has to be like you're making money. 50% of people would want a low-paying job that they love. 26% say they would do a high-paying job that they hate. 24% said, I don't know, not sure. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go out on a limb here and suggest that the economy greatly impacts this because as much as people would love to do a job that they love and they feel fulfilled and they they wake up every day thinking, yeah, I can't wait to get to work and that sort of thing, money is a reality in life and we need a lot of it to live in this hellhole that we live in right now because mm-hmm. the cost of everything is through the roof. It sure is. I just don't, and we got a lot of texts from we people did. today, a ton. We did. From people who said, nope, it, for your own mental health, you've yeah. got to do a job that you love. And and as much as I understand and acknowledge that, again, I just don't understand how you could go and work full time at a job that is not paying your bills, falling behind every single month yeah. just so that you can say, I love my job. Yeah. Well, and, and you know what a great point that a lot of Texters. We'll try to summarize all these text messages we got because when Scott says we got a ton, we got a ton on this. And I Hundreds. I love this conversation because for a lot of people, it's a fantasy. You know what I mean? Because they're making, let's say they're making whatever, $100,000 and they don't love, the, they're a little stressed out. They're not home as much as they like to be. They would love to work for, you know, a nonprofit comes to mind when it comes to a job that feels, seems fulfilling. Like those kinds of jobs to me seem so fulfilling, but we know that they infamously don't pay well enough. Don't you find mm-hmm. like they, they really don't. So we had a lot of examples of similar where the person says I would if I could pay my bills or I did. There were people who took a pay cut half of what they made. And I have to say everybody who mentioned messaged us with that didn't regret it was living a different lifestyle and fully admitted that um, adding things like I had to adjust, right? So I had to change up the way that I lived. We no longer could afford a couple of different things, but we we knew that in advance. We took them off the list. I'm happier. I'm healthier. I get spend more time with my family, whatever it means to you. Because when you when you say work-life balance, for some people, they don't mind working a lot, but it's stre- if it's too stressful, that's too much, right? So whatever that means for you. But mental health came into play a lot in these texts, eh? Huge. It, it really was shocking. Yeah. One of the things that I think is interesting about it is the amount of people that are unsure. And I have to think some of those are young people. How many people go to school to do the job that they love? You know, I, my own daughter did it and God bless her. I'm happy for her. And it's great that she is doing what she loves. She does exotic animal medicine. So basically she does for your fucking exotic animals that you shouldn't even have. You call someone like her when they get sick because a regular vet, you get nervous about taking your giant illegal iguana or reptile in or maybe you've got a monkey and you don't, you can't take that monkey to the vet because the the vet will rat you out. You call someone like my daughter and as much as it's fulfilling for her and she had a great school experience, it doesn't pay very well. Really? You would think that that would be the opposite. In my mind, I thought you said the word exotic. It's got to be good money. Yeah, there's not a huge demand for it. And I admire her for going to school to do what she loves. But what she loves isn't going to pay the bills. And, and that's a reality that a lot of people have to face. And when you're just coming out of high school, planning out your post-secondary and thinking about what you want your career to be, I don't know how much consideration people put into, will it pay the bills? Money, Probably yeah. not a lot, because I'm looking at the amount of 
I don't know, uh, fine arts programs in universities that are all fucking full and graduating people. And I don't know how many fine arts jobs there are out there. And the ones that are out there, I don't know that they pay particularly well. Yeah. And, you know, that's one thing. We always talk about what our life class that we'd love to happen in like high school. That maybe that should be a good life lesson for people is, okay. so you want to be a teacher. Let's talk about the beginning wage, the, the beginning wage for a teacher and how a lot of teachers who first start off get a second job, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, to, to be able to live on their own. If, or they're living at home with mom and dad until they can make their way to that amount of money that they want. And it takes a few years to get there, whatever the case is. I use teachers as one example. You could use, uh, you know, any number of things. Travel and tourism. Like, okay, well, let's set you up for all the different tiers of travel and tourism. I remember having that conversation when I started in radio even, right? Like, oh, radio, and the even if you're working full time, it's not great, whatever. I mean, I don't think that money should deter you from going for what you want, though. You know, like, I do worry that people will forego their dreams and be like, oh, I guess my dad's right. I'll go to school for this. I don't want to see that. Like, my dad said I should be a whatever. Uh, uh, I should go to business and just be a be a salesperson or whatever because he says so or she says so. You know, I do like people reaching for their dreams and stuff. I really do. Um, but happiness does uh, that is a humongous factor in that as well. So it shouldn't all be about money, I think, but maybe a balance of the two. But learning about it is important. I agree with you. I think a lot of young people don't know. You're right. And, and I think it's going to get worse, particularly for young people. And the reason I say that, this might be a, an Ontario-specific situation, but look at how much money and resources is being invested into guiding people into the trades. And that's an easy one for parents to get behind too, right? Like, oh, the school's mm-hmm. making it easy. You know, you could go and get your your certificate and be a certified electrician within four years and you're going to make 80 bucks an hour and overtime and blah. You're going to live a great life with a lot of money. I don't know how many people in high school right now are particularly excited about the prospect of being an electrician. But the school system is basically pushing them in that direction. Parents, easy for them to get behind it. And I'm not sure how much we're going to continue to have the conversation with today's high school students about do what you love. Because those trades jobs are going to pay well. We need them. You're never going to need work. You're going to make a shit ton of money. But is it really what you want to do or is that just the way we're pushing everybody? Because it kind of seems like that's the case. Unless you want to go into coding and computer engineering, then you're going to get pushed into the trades. I don't know how many people are going to get pushed into, oh, sorry, or nursing. Because we have a major nursing shortage and healthcare in general. Yeah. Yeah. But those seem to be the three things that kids in high school are really going to get directed towards. And I'm thinking that your dream job might get pushed to the wayside a little bit here. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that's what happens. I mean, even people listening now who are into their, you know, who are even thinking about retirement, like that close. I know people who live their entire lives. I think about some of my family members that live their entire lives doing a job they didn't like, but they did it because they had they they had to get it done, right? They had to pay the bills. They had kids to feed maybe or, or whatever the case is. They But do they regret it would be my question. Do you regret it? I know people who do. They're like, yeah, I hated my job for 35 years, 40 years. I hated my job, but I, what else was I going to do? There's people who are taking the risk and, and, and good for you. If that's, if you're one of those people listening right now that did take that risk, that took less money just to be able to do something you love. Good for you. Cause I think it's easier said than done. Absolutely. Got to be a real tough choice to make money versus happiness. Now, if you happen to do a job that you love and it pays really that's, well, you're winning. Holy grail, yeah. right? Ding, ding, ding. The, the, One of the best examples I can think of for this is one of my best friends, dad, worked his entire life 
in IT. And his his whole day was putting out fires and dealing with shit. Mm. And that was before today's modern IT problems like cybersecurity and things like that. The bulk of what he did was teaching people how to use different programs, replacing mice and keyboards, asking people, did you reboot it? Shit like that. <laughs> and it wasn't a very fulfilling job. He didn't love it. It was very much a uh, nine to five. Here we yeah. go. But he made really good money. The day he retired, he enrolled in a course and became a sommelier. In retirement, he took a sommelier course and now knows everything there is to know about wine, and he loves it. He's not doing it as a career, but he still wanted that experience to be able to say mm. that's what he does. And what a great job that would be. That you know? would be a cool job, too. Does that pay well? Because I, I could reconsider. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could do that as a side hustle, couldn't you? I know a thing or two yeah. about the Reds. I, I think you should, actually. I would encourage you to do that on the side. I it's have a lot had... of work, by the way. That training is a lot of work. Oh. I know someone who went through it. It is a fucking grind. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Testing to yeah. try and get certified is nuts, yep. but good on you if you, yeah. even if that's the thing, right? Like you work to be able to afford to do what you love. Hey, as long as you get to do what you love, I guess that's what matters. Yeah, great topic of conversation. Got to go, everybody. We're a little long today. We will see you tomorrow with another episode of After Nine. Bye bye. The U.S. economy was rocked after Silicon Valley Bank crashed, becoming the second largest bank failure in U.S. history. It's never good when people are watching CNBC or shrieking louder than the people watching Scream 6. Like, oh, oh. Silicon Valley Bank knew they were in trouble when they saw themselves in the Oscars in memoriam. They go, what's up? Elon Musk is reportedly planning to build a town outside Austin, Texas for his Tesla and SpaceX employees that he has described in meetings as a utopia. I don't know. Have you ever been to a party where one guy has a Tesla? Now imagine every guy has a Tesla. <laughs> so more business news. Uh, I heard that Apple is working on AirPods that can improve your hearing, monitor your posture, and take your temperature. People are like, exactly where am I supposed to put these things? <laughs> Tattoo artist in India recently set a Guinness World Record after spending over 90 consecutive hours giving tattoos to 64 people and hepatitis to 63 people. 